Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. What Happens in Vegas by Malibu Sunset on AO3. Rating Explicit. Chapter 4. Things seem surprisingly ordinary in the back seat of the cab on the way to the airport. The only difference is that she seems a bit quieter than usual. Where normally they'd be prattling on about casework, they fall mostly silent, watching the hustle of the city fade like a desert mirage with each passing mile. What a difference a couple of hours make. She's her usually polished self now, in black slacks and a white blouse, buttoned a little higher than usual in an attempt to hide the evidence of their tryst. Her hair is styled and sleek, makeup pristine. Just 12 hours ago, she had been scraping her fingernails on his scalp and telling him how big his cock was. He is still trying to make sense of the existence of two entirely different Scullies in a single 110-pound package. They end up seated in two rows on the plane. She's in the middle of row 16. He's on the end of the aisle of 17. He leans over the man in the row 16 aisle so many times to say something to Scully that, before they even leave the tarmac, the man asks Mulder if he wants to switch seats to be next to his wife. Scully blushes furiously while Mulder gladly makes the swap. He also summons the courage to reach for her hand when she grabs the in-flight shopping magazine and begins thumbing through it. He isn't sure if she's deflecting his attention or just really interested in home massagers and cheese graters. It's all the same overpriced products that have been in the magazines since we started flying together six years ago, she concludes with a frown. He leans over the page. Oh, I don't know. I think the indoor rotisserie turkey fryer looks like something you'd use. What's that supposed to mean? She asks with a resistant smile. You're insinuating that I can't cook? No, of course not. Just because I've never seen it happen doesn't mean it can't. You, of all people, know that I believe in the unseen, Scully. She closes the magazine and swats his arm with it. I can cook, Mulder. It just seems like a waste of time to cook for myself. He nudges her leg gently with his own. I'd eat something you cooked, if it wasn't too terrible. His smile teases. How salicious of you. Breakfast is my favorite meal. He lowers his eyes after he says it, realizing that it could be taken as the kind of invitation he wasn't intending. She's forgiving. Well, lucky for you, I make a mean omelet. The beverage service makes its way by them and he gets a Diet Coke, Scully a cup of hot tea. He watches her steep the tea bag and wrap it around the plastic spoon. She seems more relaxed now than she did in the taxi, and he senses that things between them are shifting back on its axis. It occurs to him that that isn't entirely a good thing. If he knows Scully, her inclination will be to seek out the familiar and the comfortable in this situation. Their friendship is familiar and safe, and while it means as much to him as it does to her, if he has to spend another six years being just her friend, he'll go quietly insane. He begins to formulate a plan in his head. Once upon a time, he was charming with women. He had a healthy social life at Oxford, muddled his way through a string of successful and not-so-successful relationships. Even lived with a woman, two if you count the three months of hardly getting out of Phoebe Green's bed. 
When he had graduated the FBI Academy, he had no shortage of offers for dates. He enjoyed himself for a while. Then he met Diana, and he grew up. Then he met Scully, and he fell in love. And although overwhelming evidence suggests that he has slept with her, he's never dated her, and he'd really like the chance to do so. He clears his throat and shifts himself towards her in his seat, casually raising the armrest divider between them. So, the fact that I was unaware of your culinary talents leads me to believe there might be other things I don't know about you, Scully. He's going for smooth. He's not sure if it'll work. She's no profiler, but she's damn perceptive. Mulder, I think you know more about me than anyone, possibly even my mother. He vows to ponder that idea later. Well, for instance, what's your favorite color? She scrunches her brows at him, but her mouth says she's amused. You want to know what my favorite color is? Wait, don't tell me. I want to guess. She chuckles and waits patiently, arching her brows through a sip of tea. You'll tell me if it's something benign like ocean blue or, or maybe apple green, she finishes. He smiles. Or apple green. His eyes question her. Is that it? I like it, yes. Okay, but what you won't tell me is that you actually harbor a secret affection for something really feminine and girly. Petal pink, maybe? He very bravely brushes the back of his fingers to her cheek. She starts for a split second, like a butterfly that's had its wings touched, then relaxes. Like the color of your cheeks right now. Her eyes widen and the color deepens beautifully. Lilac, she admits, biting her lower lip and lowering her gaze. I like lilac. He smiles smugly, pleased with himself, and lowers his hand reluctantly to his lap. Favorite room in your apartment? My bedroom. Favorite thing to eat at a carnival? Cotton candy. Favorite flower? Peonies. He pauses and chews his lower lip. What, she asks. I'm not sure I know what they are. Growing up on the naval base, they grew right outside my bedroom window every spring. I'd fall asleep breathing in the wonderful sweet smell. She fingers the cross around her neck thoughtfully, and they fall silent for a moment. Do you have a smell that reminds you of your childhood, she asks. He huffs quietly. My childhood wasn't exactly leave it to beaver, Scully. Neither was mine, she replies, a bit sharply. But there must have been some good things. He thinks. There were. When I was really young, my mother used to read to both Samantha and me every night, long after I could read to myself. It was nice. I remember what her perfume smelled like. I think she stopped wearing it not long after Sam disappeared. Her eyes are soft when they meet his, and to his surprise, she reaches for his hand and pulls it into her lap. You never asked me what my favorite part of the body is, she says, sweetly, pushing her finger through the space between his. He smiles and watches their intertwined hands enthralled. Is that a clue? Maybe, she says coyly. Probably. They hold hands for the remainder of the flight, and she falls asleep with her head resting against his shoulder. He lingers just inside her door after helping her with her luggage. 
He feels less comfortable about just making himself at home inside her apartment like he usually does. She looks tired and he doesn't want her thinking he expects anything. It is Friday, however, and weekend plans haven't come up. And he wonders what his chances are of seeing her again before Monday. So, he starts. So? I managed to get the report on the Martinez case filed, by the way, he says brightly, before leaving for Vegas. She nods. That's good. Thanks. Skinner left a couple of messages. I don't know why he insists on only calling me. Mulder chuckles. Could have something to do with me not returning his calls. She smiles, closed mouth, and removes her jacket, folding it over a chair. I'll let you get some rest then. It's been an exhausting couple of days. So, what's on the plate for the weekend, he ventures casually, looking down at his shoes. She turns on a couple of table lamps in the living room, bathing the room in incandescent warmth. Uh, I'm having breakfast with my mom tomorrow morning. Then, I don't know, the usual, I suppose. Errands, laundry, maybe getting something done on that journal article I took a break from. He nods. Well, then I guess I'll, uh, see you Monday morning. He shuffles slowly towards the door. Yeah, see you Monday, Mulder. He swears she looks a little disappointed, and as soon as he's outside her door, standing in the hallway, he wants to smack himself in the head. He wants to knock again and go back in there and ask her to dinner tomorrow night. He wants to kiss her and taste her peppermint lip gloss. He wants to tell her that this business of not getting involved because they work together is bullshit. They've been involved for years now. They're more involved than any couple he knows. He wants to tell her that it's not about the sex, the really, really awesome sex, but that it's about how on the days he doesn't see her, it all seems like a big waste of time to him. He doesn't do any of these things. He goes home and feeds his fish and eats soup out of the can while watching TV. Scully's mind is on the conversation she had with her mother over breakfast that morning about flying out to Bill and Tara's for Memorial Day weekend this year. She had begged off giving her a solid answer, but she knows her mother will be nudging her towards making airline reservations in another week. The truth is, Scully might be holding out hope that she'll have other plans for her three-day weekend this year. Toting her purse on her shoulder, two grocery bags in her arms, and her mail clutched between her teeth, she shoves the apartment door closed with her aching foot. Her new wedge sandals that she bought on sale are hurting her arches, and all she can think of is getting them off. She slides out of them just inside the door and drops her purse and keys on the end table next to the vase of flowers. And stops dead in her tracks. Oh my God, she whispers. Her mouth opens in a large O as she surveys the room. Eyes wide in astonishment. The grocery bags fall to the polished wood floorboards with a thunk and a bunch of bananas land in the magazine basket by the sofa. Oh my God, she repeats, a little louder this time. Peonies. Lilac-colored peonies. Everywhere. There are glass vases full of them on each end table in her living room, and another on the fireplace mantel. A vase on her bookshelf and one in the middle of her dining table. Two large bowls that she recognizes from her own cupboard are sitting on the kitchen counter. Each is filled with water and decorated with floating, clipped peonies. They're on her desk in her hutch cupboard on her coffee table and next to her stereo. Her hand is over her mouth as she walks down the short hallway and into her bedroom to find it also overflowing with the beautiful flowers. There are vases on both of her dressers and nightstands, 
In her bathroom, she finds the entire ledge around her table surrounded by smaller, shorter vases, each with two or three of the puffy flowers. She shuffles dizzily back into her bedroom. I don't believe this, she says out loud. There has to be 200 lilac peonies in her apartment. Mulder must have bought every single one in the entire District of Columbia. The smell is absolutely beautifully intoxicating. Her eyes flutter shut as she inhales deeply and flops down onto her own bed, spread eagle, giggling like a schoolgirl. No, Mulder. When she finally regains her bearings and sits up, something else catches her eye. She stands and walks to her bedroom mirror where a plain, yellow post-it note contains his familiar scrawl. Please consider putting on a dress and joining me for dinner tonight, 6.30 sharp. Love, M. She pulls the post-it note from the mirror and carries it to her bed as she lies back down and reaches for the cordless phone. He answers on the second ring. Hi, it's me, she says shyly. Oh, hey, Scully. Did you get my note? She laughs and the corners of her eyes tear a little. Yes, Mulder, I got your note. When Mulder said 6.30 sharp, he apparently meant it. There is a knock on Scully's apartment door as she is fastening the back of her earring and deciding between regular black pumps or slingbacks. She is intrigued by his punctuality. She takes a perfectory glance through the peephole before opening the door. Mulder stands there, rocking on the balls of his feet like a fidgety prom date. Hi, she greets him, smiling shyly. Hi, I hope I'm not too early. She swings the door wide, inviting him inside. Right on time. For a change, he jokes. I would have brought you flowers, but... She grins. I think all of my vases are currently full. His eyes sweep over her knee-length, sleeveless black dress, appreciatively, before arching his eyes at her bare feet. You look incredible, Scully. I wasn't planning on Japanese, but hey, we can change the reservation if that's what you're in the mood for. She looks down at her bare feet and scrunches her toes a little. Let me grab my shoes and I'll be ready. She fusses another minute over her makeup in the bathroom mirror before tossing everything into her black clutch and slipping into the slingbacks. If the butterflies in her stomach keep up all night, she's going to be really annoyed. It's just Mulder, for God's sake. She switches off most of the lights around her apartment before joining him at the door. Do I need a jacket? The afternoon temperature had reached the middle 70s, but evenings in early May can be cool. When he offered dinner, she had assumed they'd be inside all night, but with Mulder, you just never know. He shrugs. It's still pretty warm out. She drapes a wrap over her arm to be on the safe side, and they leave. Mulder had chosen French Belgian, pricey but not extravagant, and her smile doesn't hide the fact that she's pleased. They are led to a back corner table with a view of the city that leaves her wondering what strings were pulled on less than 24 hours' notice. If she had to wager, she'd bet on him flashing the badge. Neither of them were above the maneuver when the occasion called for it. She didn't bother to bring her firearm, as her form-fitting dress offers few opportunities for concealment, and her handbag is small. It's become so second nature for her to carry it even on weekends that she feels naked without it. Mulder pulls her chair out for her, and she lifts her brows at him and smiles. This is beautiful, Mulder. This and all the flowers. I I don't know what to say. He actually looks embarrassed when he shrugs. 
Meh, I had some extra time on my hands this morning. You must have bought every peony in the district. He smiles. I am well acquainted with the Yellow Pages section of my phone book now. Yes. Hey, at least they were in season, or I would have had to progress to plan B. I'm afraid to ask. A year's supply of cotton candy. She laughs out loud at this and shakes her head. Well, my figure thinks you. His eyes drift slowly down her and back up again, and the sparkle in his eyes tells her that he's biting back 101 responses to that. Her face feels warm and she takes a drink of her ice water. They order a bottle of red wine and begin pursuing the impressive menu selections. Care to share an appetizer, Scully? Escargot or frog legs? I was thinking more like the Vidalia onion dip or the provincial soup. Have you actually had frog legs before, Mulder? He flashes her a smug smile. Why, yes, as a matter of fact, in the heart of Upper Normandy, no less. I didn't know you spent time in France. Summer between my freshman and sophomore years at Oxford, to avoid going back home, I decide to stay in Europe and travel. Their wine arrives and a glass is poured for each of them. Mulder swirls the liquid in his glass and tastes it, then nods his approval at their attentive waiter. And we'll take an order of the onion dip to share. Very well, sir. The waiter disappears. Yes, he continues. A roommate and I went on a backpacking trip through Switzerland, France, and Belgium. She takes a sip from her wine glass. A trip of self-discovery? Mulder chuckles. Something like that. We stayed in youth hostels and drank our way through our savings accounts. And entertain women, she hints, brows elevated. Some of that, yes. Not as many as you might think, but there was this one. I met her in a pub in northern France. She had red hair, actually. Her smile is dubious. No, really. Green eyes, though. I stayed behind for a couple of nights while my roommate went on ahead. What was her name? Mulder winces with a hiss. Now you're going to make me look bad. He closes his eyes and frowns in concentration for a moment. Nicole, I think. Nicole? She giggles. I'll never know if you're right. Nicole, then. Definitely. I remember it clear as day. She laughs. Sorry, I suppose it could be categorized more as a trip of youthful indiscretion than one of self-discovery. But I did try frog legs while I was there, which was the point, I believe. You don't have to apologize to me, Mulder. Her smile is genuine. We were all 20 once. He takes a drink, studying her carefully. Yes, we were. She catches his eye. What? Just wondering. She wets her lips and looks to the side. What are you wondering? What you were like at 20. Their appetizer arrives and the waiter sets in the center of the white linen tablecloth. Scully folds her napkin into her lap. She draws a deep breath. At 20... Well, I was full of idealism. I suppose like most 20-year-olds. I knew I wanted to go to medical school, so I was pretty focused academically. You were that girl, the one in the library on Friday nights, he chides. She does her best to look offended. Not on Friday nights, no. Sunday through Thursday, perhaps. Boyfriend? Yes. Let me guess. He swipes a piece of bread through the dip and deposits it into his mouth. Chewing thoughtfully. Also pre-med. Or maybe pre-law. Serious, motivated, all-American. Working class background, maybe. The captain would have approved. 
Her wine glass hovers in front of her lips for a moment before she takes a drink, giving him a patient look. Philosophy major, played in a band, and no, the captain was not impressed. Especially when he and my mother arrived two hours early for parents' weekend and caught us in the shower together. Oh, ouch, Scully. As the French would say, in flagrante delicto. Very delicto, she smiles. It was a tense parents' weekend, to say the least. How long did it last, you and Bob Dylan? She licks onion dip off her index finger. Almost a year and a half, actually. Not bad. I'm not sure I had shoes that lasted me that long at 20 years old. You must have had some relationships at Oxford, she hedges, besides the delightful Miss Green. He smiles. A couple. Mostly, I just tried to dodge my mother's matchmaking efforts. He refills his wine glass. One year, I went home for Thanksgiving, and my mother had taken the liberty of inviting a lovely young lady to dinner by the name of Elizabeth Wellington. She wasn't lovely? Oh, she was. She was actually quite pretty, and a student Wellesley, from what I remember. But just the fact that her pedigree had been approved by my mother made me refuse to give her a chance. It was made very clear to me ahead of the time that the Wellingtons would be joining us for dinner and that I should be on my best behavior. He takes a swallow of his wine. So, since, as you know, rules were never my thing, I brought a date to Thanksgiving dinner. Scully's eyes widen. You didn't. He nods. I did. Invited her home with me for the entire holiday weekend, actually. Her name was Holly, and I had met her in a pub two weeks before. She was a waitress, not a student. My mother was scandalized. The Wellingtons were awkwardly polite. My father got fabulously drunk, and dinner was a legendary disaster. Holly flew back to London the next morning, and I never saw Elizabeth again. In short, I was a complete asshole to two perfectly decent girls. His expression is vaguely contrite. But that was the last time my mother tried to fix me up. She's thoughtfully quiet for a moment, fingering the corner of the linen napkin in her lap. I'm not doing a very good job at being charming, am I? When she looks up at him, his expression is uncertain. Is that what you were trying to do? She asks, carefully. Charm me? He tilts his head several degrees, holding a smile in his eyes. The thought had occurred to me, but I guess I'm a little out of practice. His hand lifts the wine bottle and reaches over to refill her glass. She watches the purplish liquid cascade into the glass and realizes she's already feeling the warmth of the alcohol settling into her cheeks. Oh, I don't know, Mulder. You're telling me honest things about your life, who you once were and how you got here. She meets his eyes and lowers her voice just a little. I find that pretty charming. His gaze drifts back and forth between her eyes and her mouth as he leans forward slowly over the small round table. Her breath comes up short and she holds it a second in anticipation. And then he reaches across to her face and he swipes a finger over the edge of her mouth. You had some dip. He grins at her and she holds back her laugh, shaking her head and taking another long swallow of wine. I want to take you somewhere, he says, opening the passenger door for her. She climbs in, keeping a careful watch on the hemline of her dress as it inches well above her knees. His eyes, bless him, stay on her face, but she's almost certain it hasn't gone unnoticed. He's had six years to master the art of checking her out discreetly. We are somewhere, she responds cutely. 
He crosses to the driver's side, sheds his jacket into the back seat, and gets in. Do you need to get home? She's feeling coy and a fraction tipsy. Eventually. His smile tells her that he's enjoying her playfulness. Where do you want to take me, she asks. It's a surprise. Okay. She slides her seatbelt on and sits politely with her hands in her lap. Let's go then. He rolls both the front windows down a couple of inches as he maneuvers out into light traffic. It's still early. She has no idea where he's taking her. And she likes being the one with no responsibility for the decision-making tonight. She trusts him. And knowing Mulder as she does, wherever it is, she will not be bored. His wrists are relaxed on the steering wheel, and his shirt sleeves are rolled up, exposing his forearms. She stands corrected. There are conspiracies in the world, like the one designed to distract her with the 10 inches of skin between his wrists and his elbows. She flips on the car stereo and searches until she finds something she likes. It's vaguely R&B, sensual with the driving beat. Not her usual fare at all. He keeps his eyes trained on the road, but a smile plays on his closed mouth. He's holding her hand and leading her along a carefully manicured campus walkway on the side of a stone, ivory-covered building. They're in the older section of the UMD campus, where the earliest academic buildings are located. A small group of students smoke under a nearby tree, laughing. As they pass, one of them tucks a bottle of something under his denim jacket. Hey, Professor Milligan, I stuck my chem lab under your door before five. That's not him, asshole. Oh, shit, laughs the first guy. Sorry, man. Mulder and Scully pass by and begin to climb, a set of cracked and worn steps without a word. I think that was him. No, it wasn't, you idiot. That's not his wife. The door of the age building closes behind them, and Scully breathes in the smell of polished wood and old books. Whoever Professor Milligan is, says Mulder, he was spotted on campus this evening with a redhead who is not his wife. Mulder, why are we at the University of Maryland and Chuck Burke's building? He heads up a narrow staircase and Scully follows. We're not, he says. Well, we are, but we're not. This is just a stop. On our way to where? Patience. It's a surprise, remember? She remembers. She's just never been good with surprises. They're in direct juxtaposition with her instinctive desire to be in control, and she always finds them a bit unsettling. They dart down one hallway, then another, her heels clicking along behind him as he tugs her by the hand. They're in a hurry, but she has no idea why. They stop outside Chuck Burke's office door and Mulder raps twice. The door opens, and Chuck sticks his head out to glance both ways down the empty hallway before his hand slips through the crack of the door, holding a small key ring. Mulder snatches it up and thrusts his hand into his front pocket. Thanks a lot. I owe you one. You've got an hour and a half before the night cleaning crew starts. Don't turn on any lights up there, or you'll attract the attention of campus security. Chuck's head disappears behind the closed door again. Scully's eyes widen a little. Mulder, what in the world? Let's go, Scully. You heard the man. We've only got an hour and a half. They take off down the hallway again, and she giggles, trotting to keep up. As it turns out, they don't have far to go. Mulder leads her two buildings down and then into a small elevator, no bigger than a broom closet. 
He fumbles with the keys on the ring until the smaller one fits into the elevator lock and allows him to press the button labeled Deck. How you doing, Scully? You okay? She smiles up at him, amused. I'm fine, Mulder, but you certainly have piqued my curiosity. It's a surprise. So you've said, would this be like a baseball playing surprise or a haunted house on Christmas Eve surprise? I would hope no one gets shot here tonight, let's put it that way. The elevator grinds to a halt, and the doors open slowly as she steps out. She's tempted to inquire about the likelihood of anyone hitting a home run, but she thinks better of it. Mulder uses the second key on the mysterious ring to open a large, double set of glass doors. Above the doorway in gold lettering, it reads, Leonard A. Walsh, Sky Observation Deck. They step through the doors into an enormous circular room with a polished tile floor. She sucks in a quick breath as she takes her first good look around her. The entire room, including the very center of the dome, high ceiling is enclosed in glass, giving it a bluish-white glow. She can see without any trouble at all, making additional lighting unnecessary. Mulder, oh my God. Her voice echoes almost startlingly. She lowers it a little. What is this place? He smiles at her look of wonder as she turns in a complete circle, taking it all in. It's part of the astronomy lab for the university, the Sky Observation Lab. There are four doors, he points, that lead to an outside viewing deck with telescopes mounted all around it. Come on. She follows him to one of the four doors and watches as he turns the deadbolt and unlatches it. How did you arrange this? Chuck knows the head of the astronomy department. He pulled a few strings for me. He pulled a few strings for me. She follows him onto the outside deck and her mouth drops open. Her head tips back to her shoulders and she sways a little on her feet as his hand cups her elbow, steadying her. Mulder, this is incredible. Oh my God. It's gorgeous out here. She finds herself under a blanket of pitch black, speckled with the bright silver-white flicker of thousands of stars. It's a clear night. I thought it might be a good one to bring you up here. Her eyes keep scanning the sky as she takes several steps around, getting her bearings. She can't make herself look away from the infinite sky, even for a second. This is... This is... I know. I was only up here once before, Chuck. But in the daytime, I knew that I wanted to bring you here someday. When was this? Uh, a couple of years ago, I guess. This makes her lower her eyes to meet his. You knew two years ago that you wanted to bring me here? Oh, dear God. Two years. This is the most romantic thing anyone has ever done for her, and he's been planning it for two years. He isn't saying anything, but he's still holding her gaze. Her eyes move between his and she simply can't draw breath for several seconds. Their silent looks communicate a thousand different things in the space of five seconds, and it's the purest love she's ever experienced. She crosses to him purposely, takes his face in the palm of her hands and kisses him. His surprise lasts only a split second before he relaxes and his eyes flutter shut. She feels his hands at her waist, barely touching her, the heat of him burning her through the material of her dress. The kiss is sweet, mostly chaste, but with a hint of passion just below the surface. Like if they kept it at that, they'd certainly be in trouble. Her mouth releases his first, and she keeps one hand at his face, the other on his chest. Thank you, she says a little breathlessly. His eyes smile down at her, 
his full lower lip working a little. Wow, I should have done this two years ago. She huffs a quiet laugh against the open V of his shirt. Your timing is perfect. His arms go around her and he holds her close, rubbing her arms. You're cold, he observes. Before she can decide if she is, or even generate a coherent response, he has his jacket off and is slipping it over her shoulders. His fingers dip below the collar to rescue her hair and lift it out. Better? Yes. He tucks a lock behind her ear. So, there are things to do out here, he reasons, thoughtfully. I didn't bring you here just to make out. She lifts her brows and doesn't hide her smile. Just? They exchange playful looks and he folds an arm over her shoulders, leading her over to one of the seven mounted telescopes by the outer wall of the deck. How well do you know your constellations, Dr. Scully? She watches with quiet amusement as he tinkers absently with a dial on the side of the instrument. His attempt to appear skilled entertains her. How well do you know how to use a telescope, Mulder? Tenth grade astronomy club. There was a girl named Patty Beringer who taught me everything I know. I'll bet. He tilts the scoop up and peers into the lens. See, I've always had a thing for cute scientists, Scully. The telescope sweeps the sky slowly as Mulder presses his eye to it. Would you look at that? What? I see a lot of white blobs. One looks a little bit like a conquer spaniel we had when I was seven. She taps his shoulder gently. May I? He steps back a little and makes a be-my-guest gesture with his open hand. Her fingers begin making a few minor adjustments, pausing after each to look through the lens. For one thing, the magnification is set too high. Always start in the lowest setting and adjust as needed. After tinkering another moment, she shifts to the side a little. Now try it. Their height differential makes sharing a scope difficult without adjusting the mount. But Mulder is a good sport, and he bends just enough to be able to see through the instrument. Wow, that's a lot better. Where'd you learn to use a telescope, Scully? First, my father. It was something we used to do together when I was a little girl. Sometimes he'd take me out onto the water at night, and we'd stay out until midnight, mapping constellations. Much later, I took a beginning astronomy class in college, but I only had a passing interest. What are you looking at right now? Gemini, I think. Yeah, let me see. He holds the scope steady and she slides in front of him to look, his arms wrapped around both sides of her. Mm, I think that's Ariga, actually. Ariga rides Taurus the bull, and to the left of Taurus is Orion the hunter. See the belt? She lets him back in. Oh, yeah. Follow the leftmost star off Orion's belt and then north to find Gemini. See the two bright stars close together? That's Castor and Pollux. I see it. Is that Aries to the northwest of Taurus? Yes, and then Andromeda, above it, and Pegasus to the right of that. It looks like a large square. Northeast of Andromeda is Cassiopeia's crown. She places her hand on top of Mulder's and very slowly tilts the scope up. Can you see the little dipper yet? Uh, no. Wait, yes. Now I see it. Look right above it, and you might be able to see Draco, if it's not too light. Draco is hard to spot. I see something that looks like a long arc, he says. That's it. Draco is Latin for dragons, he muses. It's the northernmost constellation, and it's most visible in spring and summer. 
What's the triangle below the Big Dipper, he asks. I think it might be Leo Minor, she answers. Uncertain. I don't remember. Is there a larger one below the triangle that looks sort of like a crooked candy cane? Uh, maybe. Wait. Yes, I think so. Is that Leo? If I remember correctly, yes. What do candy canes have to do with lions, asks Mulder. She giggles. Nothing. Most of the constellations bear little resemblance to the mythical creatures they're supposed to represent. So, I'm a Libra. Where's that? Search me, she shrugs. I really have no idea. My Pisces is to the right of Aries, though. Below Pegasus, looking nothing whatsoever like a fish. But no Libra, huh? Leave it to you to be hard to find in the sky, Mulder. I'm sure you're out there somewhere. That's what people tell me. Hey, maybe we can catch a shooting star, Scully. She smiles. Meteor showers are most easily seen after midnight, with the naked eye, not a telescope. Hmm, naked, huh? She bites her lip and refuses a laugh. Eye. He keeps moving the scope slowly, with her hand still resting over his. You're turning me on with all this astronomy talk, Scully. Oh, hey there. Is that what I think it is? What? She's still stuck on his flirtatious comment, and the fact that his free arm has found its way around her waist, and his palm is now resting flat against her abdomen. There, look. He offers her the scope. She tries to focus both her brain and her eyes. Saturn, she replies with a smile. It's so beautiful. Yeah, he whispers, his breath hot on her neck. It is. She breathes through her mouth and tilts her head just a little. Mulder. Hmm? He's moved on to full-blown nuzzling now. I thought we were looking at Saturn. He kisses her earlobe and she inhales sharply. Remember Saturn and all the, uh, the... Her eyes drift close. The pretty... The rings. Sorry. Doesn't ring a bell. She spins slowly in his arms to face him, her cheeks flushed and her eyes foggy. He initiates the kiss first this time. It's different than before. Still sensual, still wonderful, but with a bit more purpose behind it, and with the meeting of tongues this time that elicits a small noise of contentment from her. He works her entire mouth, leaving no corner undiscovered, while his hands do unusually intimate things to her waistline. She's always known he'd be good at this, with his focused vigilance. Mulder never does anything halfway. When the necessity arises, she seeks air. They take fitful breaths with their faces so close together that she can feel the sandpaper scrape of his jaw. Scully, what happened in Vegas? It shouldn't have been that way. We should have had this first. She brings her hand up to cup the back of his neck. Mulder, I don't want you to think that I... You should know that it wasn't what I... I know, she whispers. It's okay. I know. He pulls back and looks right into her eyes. But I don't want to go back, he confesses quietly, his thumb at her cheek now. I can't go back to the way things were. You know how I feel about you. I don't want to live any more of my life missing this. She answers him with a kiss, soft and easy this time, plucking his bottom lip gently before separating. I don't want to go back either, Mulder. And I don't regret Vegas. If it brought us to this. He swallows. You don't know how relieved I am to hear you say that. He exhales and draws her closer against him. So, what now? 
She tilts her head back and gazes up at him. Well, according to my estimations, we've still got at least half an hour left here. So I think... She lingers with her mouth, running her palm up and down the outside of his arm tenderly. I think you should kiss me again. He smiles and brings both hands up to her face. And when she closes her eyes this time, she sees the brightest stars of the night. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>